This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I am really excited to bring you today's guest, Whitney Port. Uh, I was a guest on Whitney's podcast in, I think it was October of 2019. And it was as I had released uh, the knock at the door. And I loved our conversation um, because I remember them saying, um, the the PR team saying, you're going to go on Whitney Port's podcast. And I'm like, you mean the girl from the Hills, you know, and you're like, why? (laughs) No, I mean, I was excited for it, but you know, I had, I I grew up in that era. I watched you on the Hills, but what I didn't realize is your life after that. And Mm -hmm. that we had a lot of similarities and there was definitely some synergies between things that you had dealt with and I dealt with. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about grief in that conversation and, once I started The Resilient Life, I realized, well, you know what, who would be a great guest is Whitney Port. So thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. And like I was saying before, I'm so proud of you for starting this and so happy to be here to talk to you about this. But it is really nice to hear that because so many people, like they know me from the show, they know me from the hills or they know me from the city. And, um, you know, we they grew connections with me towards that. But, and I love that obviously, but it's really like, there, it's been so long and there's been so much that we've done since then. So it's always really exciting for me to hear that people like have continued to follow me after this TV show. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, so much of, um, you know, I look at those, you were on the hills in the city through really formative years in your yes. life. And, yes. you know, I try to imagine being in the limelight like that and dealing with the things that you deal with at that age, no matter what, but you've got this microscope on you where everybody, millions of people are watching you. Like, what was that like? So for me, I did, and I'm proud of myself for this, but I did a really good job of keeping a lot of my personal life, like very personal Mm -hmm. and just having my work and career life on the show on the Hills. You did. When, when I moved to New York and I did the city, it was a different story because I was then going to be like the star of that show. And they needed to film more of my personal life and things needed to get a little bit juicier, but on the Hills, I had the luxury of keeping certain things private. So it wasn't as overwhelming for me as I I think it, as I know it was for like Lauren and Heidi and Spencer and all the people that had the majority of the drama on the TV show and the paparazzi following them and all the drama. Um, but I will say that what was very overwhelming for me and what I think did have a lasting effect was like two things. One is that my life was 
moving so fast and so many things were happening for me during years where you're really supposed to be making things happen. You know, like you graduate from college and it's really on you to start your life, like find a job and, and move to a new city and build a career. And for me, even though I was always like a very career oriented person and think that I would have like, I think I would have had a good job regardless of the show. I starting at 21 when I graduated from school, like I already had a job. Like I was one on a TV show and also like a um, publicist at People's Revolution. And so I think a lot of those things came really easy to me. And then when, when the show was actually over and I didn't have like, um, a network and a production team, like helping me plan my life. It was just like a major reality check for me. Like, oh my gosh, I have to now really be in charge and like do stuff. And I I struggle with that a little bit. Like, I think it's a little bit why I'm like sort of disorganized and like, don't really understand technology. And like, there's a lot of things because I feel like I missed out on a lot of that in my twenties when people were really starting to become like young professionals, you know? Um, and then I also think, um, um, the the mistrust was what affected me more than being followed more than like the paparazzi or that kind of attention it was more like not really knowing who was telling me the truth you know not knowing if producers were trying to get me all riled up to be dramatic for a scene or if the people in the tv show were telling me the actual truth you know so it was that because I filmed a tv show for so long I did it from when I was like 21 to I don't know, 29 or something like that. And very, like, as you say, very formative years, like, I think it had more effects on my trust issues than, you know what I'm saying? Then the fame for me has never really been like an issue um, because I just don't, I feel like I just don't take it that seriously. And I've never really felt like that famous, you know? So I think you do a really great job. I mean, you do. You were the person that was like, I mean, for me watching The Hills growing up, it was like, oh, well, that Whitney Port, she's clearly the level-headed one of the bunch. And you were the (laughs) one like providing guidance and advice when all the craziness was ensuing. Yeah. so I got lucky that they like cast me for that role. Right, right. Like it was a good role. It was a good role. Yeah. It was a really good role for me. But yeah. Love- but I also like that was also just me too. Like I'm if I if I started drama and then they would have probably followed that, right? Like if I started some shit with Lauren, like they would have followed it, but I was just being me. And I was really always just wanting to be like, at that time, a good friend and listener. And I was naive and sweet. And so like, they're- To some degree. I mean, I think you're, you know, and I, I love, I love watching. I was actually watching, I think it was your Insta story the other day. And you and your husband, you you rewatch old episodes. Yeah. And it was the one where you actually fell down the stairs. Yes. It's a little video and your mouth like, and your husband was just like, and cracking yeah. up because it must be wild to go back and watch these moments. It is. And just be like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't, I look at sometimes, you know, interviews. I rem- I'll never forget the first interview that I did um, on national TV after my brother was killed um, was on HLN. And I was the 
um, I don't know, they had like the the hero of the day and they like spotlighted someone on HLN. Uh And I was in Atlanta and they went to do my hair and makeup and I went in and she said, anything particular? And I'm like, no, I'm just really excited to get my hair and makeup done. Oh God. And I look, I mean, my hair is out to here. It is... (sighs) It is crazy. Derek knows what I'm talking about because he's seen that picture. And I'm always like, I need to see it. I need to see it. I'll send you a screenshot of it. It is the funniest thing ever. But, you know, you look back at these places that you were, you know, and and you've grown. And I love where you've come. You know, I I don't want to say you've come full circle, but like, yeah, you were as a 21 year old, like, yeah, the you've grown into a person that you've taken such an entrepreneurial spirit to everything that you're doing. And, you know, a lot of what I see is following you on social media, but you look like you work your butt off and every (laughs) single day, you're just like pushing towards something else. And Mm -hmm. I know that work and the effort that even goes into putting a 30 second clip together of watching yourself fall down the stairs nine years ago. Like I understand that. And Uh I love a lot of what you share publicly is about being a mom and not about being a mom in all its glory, but about the challenges that come with being a mom. And I think you put such a realness to what motherhood is. And was that a, was that an intentional decision Mm -hmm. uh, to do that? No, not at all. Um, it really happened very organically and kind of against my will at the beginning. So when I got pregnant with Sunny, I was obviously, if you've, if you've watched any of like, I love my baby, but I hate my pregnancy or any of that stuff on my new, my YouTube, you, you'd see that I was not thrilled to be pregnant. Um, I wanted to get pregnant. I wanted to have a child, but it's one of those things, like everyone says, you don't really realize how intense it is until it actually happens to you. It's not really something that anyone can actually prepare you for because it's so different for everybody. So I was just like a mess and complaining and like just being a total a-hole. And my husband, who's a producer, was like, Whitney, if you're feeling this way, there are probably so many other people out there feeling this way too. And like social media exists. This was, well, now Sunny's almost four. So this was like about four to five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, you should, he had his producer cap on. He was like, you should talk about this and we should share it. And I was like, okay, ugh, like, I felt disgusting. I was in PJs wrapped in a blanket in my bed, like eating crusty yogurt. And I was like, can I at least like shower and get myself ready? He's like, no, let's just do it. How you look like in your element. So we shot it and he cut something together and I watched it and I was like, we cannot post this. Like (laughs) everyone is going to think I'm the worst. Like I get pregnant and the baby's healthy and I get pregnant so easily and it's all fine. And I'm still complaining. Like people are going to think I'm just the worst. So I, it took me some time to, to, to like decide if it was something that I really wanted to be vulnerable, vulnerable about. Um, but 
Timmy, with Timmy's guidance, he was like, Whitney, I promise, I think this is going to be great. I know that you're not used to, because even when I was doing the Hills in the City, like we were talking about, like, I wasn't that used to really opening up. People think that just because I was on a reality show, that it's just easy for me to just like Put it show all. everything. Yeah. yeah, but it it's not, and it wasn't. And so, and it still isn't even for people that are on reality TV. I mean, maybe, maybe for some people, but like, anyways, so we ended up putting it out there and the response was just like everything that Timmy thought it was going to be. It was just, it was so many women that were like, finally, like someone saying these things that I've said to myself in my head that I haven't been able to say out loud. And it was that video and that moment that really like birthed the rest of my vulnerability on social media um, and then since then I've just been able to like build off the confidence from each thing I post, each new topic, each new struggle, everybody, mostly everybody seems to want to hear about it and want to talk about it. And so I'm just like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I yeah. just it, listen, nobody is blind to the reality that you can create whatever persona you want on social media. It's Ugh, very easy yeah. to You can, but you can also tell when people are being are not being themselves. Sure. Sure. Like Absolutely. you Yeah, go ahead. No, Sorry. I just I, you know, my oldest is uh almost 15. Okay. And so I was young, I was 25 when I got pregnant. I was I was going to say you are so young. Oh, stop. I was the first friend out of my friend group that was married. And then I got yeah. pretty quickly within three months. And I remember really kind of faking the idea that I was happy to be pregnant. You're probably I was scared shitless. I was scared yeah. out of my mind. Yeah. And while I was excited, I never wanted to be that person that was complaining, but I was right. miserable, like Ugh. totally miserable. To yeah. the point where, you know, I've got a 15-year-old and I have a six-year-old because it took me that long to be like, all to right, get I'll, over it. I'll go back in. I'll go back in again. But, you know, it's a challenging time. And I think that, um, again, I think there is a stigma that's going away right now where a lot, I see a lot more women that are talking openly about. Yes, yes. I think the thing that really needs the most like improvement or, or work forward is our own, the own pressures that we put on ourselves. Because I do think that we are seeing more and more that people are comfortable talking about it. And, and all of these feelings that we're having are not necessarily looked down upon anymore. You know, I think there's a really great highlight on mental health and especially on like mom's mental health. But even though there is all this support and it is something that people can feel freely talking about, there is still this like self-inflicted guilt yep. that we put on ourselves. That's almost the worst part of it. You know, like it's, it's the comparing ourselves with other people. It's all the stuff that we do to ourselves. That is what really needs to work on and be talked about, you know? Absolutely. And yeah. I, you know, another thing that we share in common is well, we both lost one of our parents to cancer. I lost my mom. You lost your dad. And we both had our sons after that loss. Yeah. And, you know, that was a big thing for me. And 
and I'd love to talk. You, your dad passed away in 2013. Yeah. Um, from cancer. Um, yeah. My mom in 2012 from cancer. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting pregnant in 2013. And all I could think about that entire pregnancy was the fact that my mom was not going to know this child. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. even today, you know, I, my, my two daughters will look at pictures and, you know, oh, that's Nan. And, you know, and my son doesn't have that connection to her. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's so tough and it's so challenging to try and identify like how, you know, for me, we just make it a part of our, our world and she's yeah. a part of our world and she's talked about. And, yeah. um, I see that from you as well. Um, mm -hmm. you talk about your dad and how do you do that with Sonny? You know, I mean, yeah. he's still young, but how are you trying to incorporate your dad, uh, into his world? Yeah. So I, when I try, teach him lessons. I try to say things like, this is how grandpa Jeff like taught me, or this is what grandpa Jeff would have told me to do, or grandpa Jeff would have been so proud of you. Or if I take him over to Min, uh, we call my mom Minzy. Um, and if I take him over to Minzy's house, I say like, this is where mommy grew up with, with Minzy and grandpa Jeff. And, and like, I try, I try to just casually, filtered in whenever I can. Um, I talk about, he knows that there's like this little cardinal next to my bed that he doesn't understand that his ashes are in there, but he knows that like, I keep the memory of him in there and that I also keep the memory of him like in the sky. And so sometimes he'll be like, just out of the blue, he'll be like, is dad, is grandpa Jeff up in the sky or where's grandpa Jeff? And even just those like, the the fact that he's just thinking about that on his own makes me feel like I'm doing something right. Um, I also really want to, um, like, because now that he's getting older and starting to really learn things, I think it's time that I can really talk to him even more about it. Not necessarily about death, but just about about my dad. And so I was gonna go home and like get my picture books and just like make copies of all my pictures with my dad and start really showing them to Sunny, and then also try to compile like video footage for him to watch. Cause I feel like there's nothing with him like alive that I have. Like I didn't have an iPhone I, when he was alive. I know that sounds silly, but I just don't have that much of him. And so it, I wanna take some time to gather some things. Cause I think it would be like cool for Sunny to see him actually as a person, you know, um, but it is very, it's very, the, the thought, the, the thought that he's never going to actually meet him, that the, either of them are going to know each other is almost too like painful for me to even think about. And I know that that's not beneficial. Like you can't really push those things down, but the only thing that you the only thing that you can really do is just try to teach your child about them as much as possible. And also by teaching them about them, I feel like it also helps you remember things too. Cause I don't know about you, but sometimes I start to forget, I'm like starting to forget things and don't, don't even remember what like life was like. Um, when they were and 
you know what I mean? And so it's like, it's important for us to continue to maintain those like physical memories. Absolutely. You know, you've been really public with your grief and yeah. it's something that I really admire and, and we've talked about. And I think it's, I think it's something that's important because you and I, when I was on your show, we had this conversation about, you know, don't be scared to ask me about my mom or ask me about yeah. my brother. Like, yeah. I, I want to talk to you about them. I want to share stories. And it takes this topic. It was interesting. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago. I was on uh, the line with a friend and uh, he said, you know, you're just a champion for grief. And I'm like, I don't know whether to be flattered or insulted. I know, I know. You're like, grief? like, I don't want to be a champion for grief, but on some level, you know, we need to talk about it. Like we need yeah. to take that stigma and erase it and let people be open to sharing their journey and, and yeah. what that looks like. And it's different for everyone. You know? Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about as a community because every loss is so unique and every person is so unique. And like, all you really want to do is kind of talk about it with a person that knows that person, because that's when you really feel like some sort of, I don't know, when it's, when it's cathartic, when you can like remember the person with somebody else and it feels like you're really not alone. But if you can't have that, which so many people don't have or don't want to, or don't feel comfortable, talking to other people in their family, or it's just not in their culture to talk, you know, to open up about it. Like it is so necessary to have other outlets where you, that you can turn to for like, even if it is just a quote, like yesterday for me, quotes really speak to me. Like I, this, this quote about grief that I posted yesterday on my Instagram and I can read it. Um, it really like just made sense of the feeling of grief for me. Cause I never really knew how to explain it. And I think that like the resources like you, or like I said, in my Instagram post, like option B or our house, all these amazing and the, the foundation that you've started, like all these amazing organizations, though we wish that they didn't exist because we wish no one ever had to deal with loss. Like it is an inevitable part of life and people should know that they're out there to turn to. Um, and so anyways, so the quote that I, that I did yesterday that you likely saw was grief I've learned is just all the love you want to give, but cannot all of that unspent love gathers in the lump in your throat, the corner of your eyes and the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. Yeah. And isn't that it? It's like you, you don't, it's all this love that you have for someone that you just can't show them. You can't right. talk to them. You can't hug them. You can't tell them you were thinking about them. You can't text them. You can't receive anything back from them. Like there's, there's no, no give and take. And so it just feels sometimes like it's stuck. Right. And the only way to really release it is to feel it and to talk about it. Yeah. And I just really want people to feel comfortable doing that with me. I think I, I actually, I told you, I, sc I screenshotted that last night. Yeah. I was going through, I was like, that's such a great way to put it. And, mm -hmm. and I always think about some of the things that I've done, um, post the loss of my brother and my mom. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of it is like, it's like, I have to do something right. Because right. just, if you don't, it just sits there on your chest. And, you know, one of the things that is, 
I'm grateful for is the community that I have through the Travis Manning Foundation Mm -hmm. with the families of the fallen that Mm -hmm. I come into contact with on a daily basis. So Mm -hmm. I know that I could pick up the phone and at any given time call a ton of different people who have experienced the same loss as mine Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. say, listen, I'm missing my brother. Um, I'm feeling people don't understand what it's like to lose someone to war, but not everybody has that community. And right. I always say like, we're a part of a club that no one wants to be a part of those right. who lost their loved ones in service to this country. But right. I also recognize that there's not that community for everyone. You know, yeah. you, you name some great groups that are out there. Our group, you know, works with uh, fallen service members, family, mm-hmm. but, but it's hard to navigate that. And yeah. And, and find these resources of where you can turn to talk to people. Totally, totally. And I, I'm realizing that more than ever now. Um, before I thought, I knew obviously like people, I know this sounds so blase, but like people die all the time. Like it just, it's this with COVID and everything happening, it, it so got shoved more in my face, like grief got shoved more in my face. And so it's, I feel this need for more people like us to talk about it more. And I don't know exactly like what I'm going to do or how, how I'm going to support right now. It's just by talking about my feelings, but I do feel like you're right. There is something there, there needs to be a place and maybe I just ha- haven't done enough research, but there needs to be a place where anybody can go to talk to someone, no matter what, um, when they're feeling like this. Absolutely. And you know, yeah. it's funny because I came on your show in October and I was releasing the knock at the door in November. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, the knock at the door was losing my brother to war, losing my mom to cancer. But a lot of what I talked about in the book is that each and every one of us is going to experience a knock at the door and it may be the loss of a loved one, but it could be the, you know, implosion of a marriage, the the loss of a job or um, yeah, all of those different things. I didn't put in the book that it also could be a national pandemic. And we're all going to get this crazy knock at the door in a few months. And had I been a fortune teller, I mean, but I look yeah. back to like a lot of the things that I put in that book and, and writing it, like, listen, like it's going to happen to each and every one of us. Little yeah. did I know that it was going to happen to every one of us a few months later. Yeah. Um, but you talk about like the, the, how challenging it's been for you. And, and yeah. I watched that, you know, while you've spent an exorbitant amount of time at home with uh, Timmy and Sonny, like it, it, it hasn't been perfect. And no. there's been, you know, but, but what were some, what have some things that you've done, some coping techniques, some places to find calm throughout this uh, last year? Um, I, <sighs> it's always a work in progress. It's so interesting because I just recorded a podcast for my own, um, 
podcast yesterday all about like how I take care of myself. And the more and more I was talking, the more and more I was like, God, I really need to do a better job of taking care of myself. Um, even though I thought I was doing a good job, but then it just felt like everything I was doing was sort of cliche and what people told me I should be doing. And I really need to figure out like what actually works for me. And so I'm starting to figure that out now. It's, it's interesting how, at 36 years old, I'm sure like a lot of people were really starting to figure out like what brings us peace because we, we have to go out and find it now. It's not like, it's not, our our home isn't just like our peaceful place anymore, you know? Um, so I, for me, some of the cliche things are true, like getting outside and moving my body, meditating, um, going to therapy, um, I recently actually went on an antidepressant, which I just, uh, I haven't even really talked about too much on my podcast or on my channels, but, um, it was something that I needed. It was like this quarantine, this feeling of just kind of being like, like isolated and stuck made me, I don't know, magnified my grief. Like I can't really quite put, very eloquent words to it, but I just found myself not being able to like cope with anything, like handle anything. It was as if I was like a child and I just had no coping skills. And so that has been huge for me. And I I want to obviously normalize that conversation um, because some people do need to turn to things like that. Um, I like I get in my car and I like listen to really loud music and I scream and sing like that is so helpful for me um I I'm trying to think of what else I do like I just make sure if Timmy and I get into a little thing or if we're like annoyed at each other we try to just take space from each other instead of trying to like work it out because I think that that now at this point I'm sure a lot of other couples are realizing like I think the, the issue is more just taking the space, like get some space, get a breather. You don't have to work it out and like figure out the situation right now. Like the situation, the struggle is likely that you guys have just been on top of each other too much, you know, spent more time with their spouse. Uh, yeah, like this, I've I've spent more time with my husband this year than in the last 15 years we've been. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we spent a lot of time together like we, we were always spending a lot of time together because we don't have traditional nine to five jobs and we do a lot of our work together, but yeah, this was like a whole new level and we each needed to figure out, we each needed to take some time for ourselves and like not take offense when the other person said that they needed that, you know, this is not necessarily personal. It's just what we each need. Um, well, I love that. I, I yeah. love that. I love, you know, I love that you're normalizing the idea that like there's significant mental health challenges that people are facing from this isolation. And, you know, I've, I've always been a huge proponent. I talk about it in my, in my book a lot that, that therapy, you know, me along with, um, some medication for a certain to get me through a rough spot. And, but that doesn't take away from all the other things that you need to do. You need to decide, you need to move your body. You need to pay attention to taking care of yourself. So yeah, you need to connect with others, even if it is just like once a week. And it's hard for me to say that because I'm a, I'm a really big homebody too. Like I, the quarantine hasn't been so hard for me socially because I really like to be at home. I'm not, I'm just more of a, 
what's the word? I don't know. I'm just, yeah. And so maybe, yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though in, in social, in my life, like I'm so out there and extroverted, I feel like when it comes to actually like my family and my friends, I keep them kind of at arm's length because I, I don't know, I just need to keep myself and sacred or I don't know what it is, but I started to make this recurring plan with my mom and my two sisters where we go on a walk every Friday at 11, because I won't, I won't make plans and I won't get out of the house if I don't force it. And that has actually been really, really helpful for me. Like, I think people are like, how do you take the time or what do you, how do you make the time? And it's like, you just have to schedule the time. Like you just have to, there's no other choice. Like it's not just free time. Isn't just going to magically appear. Like you have to make it happen. Well, I had, um, I had this woman on my podcast, um, a few weeks ago and, um, she runs a group called street parking and it's basically at home workouts. And she talks a lot. Miranda talks a lot about, um, how moving your body should be like brushing your teeth. Because I was like, listen, I have a lot of trouble staying accountable and like, you know, yeah. I trouble staying motivated. And it was like, well, it's not really about motivation. It's about, you know, making it this daily practice. Like yeah. you wake up every day, do you brush your teeth? And I'm like, well, yeah, who doesn't brush their teeth? Right. And she's like, well, it just needs to be something that becomes like brushing your teeth. And I think right. you have to be very intentional right now. Yes. The choices you're making every day. It's so true. To make yourself sound and have you know, healthy well-being. Um, You're so right. You it has. You have to focus on it. You're so right. That's such a good way of saying it. It's like you could just go through the days, like going through the motions, and then that's that's when you're going to feel the burnout. That's when burnout happens. So, like, if you want to stay away from burnout, and sometimes burnout's inevitable, but whatever you the, the things that you can do that you have control are, are these things that we're talking about. And like, we, we do have control over them. Like no one else does. It's on us. Well, I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing, you know, that with me and sharing kind of how you're, you're dealing with everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic that there is a light at the end of the tunnel here for all of us. And we will all be seeing each other face to face again, because I can't, stress enough how much I think that human interaction and being with each other face-to-face is as much as I love sitting here with you on Zoom, you know, it's- (laughs) And not having to leave the house. I know there's like, there's there's an element of it that's so easy that you're like, God, I never want to go into an office again, or I never want to have an in-person meeting again, you know? Like there's parts of it where that really appeal to my like introvert- Yeah, who you are. Anti-social side, but- when it really comes down to it, like connections with people are really what like fills your soul. You know, I mean, relationships are everything and it's much harder to maintain those relationships when you're, you're talking over computer screen. But like I said, you've got to be intentional about doing it and making sure that until we can get to a place that we can be together, you Mm -hmm. are focused on maintaining those relationships. Yeah. 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 Um, So I have two more questions for you. Yes. First is what advice would you give to people right now? Um, Everyone is experiencing a lot of different feelings with so Mm -hmm. many things as we talked about, 
mm-hmm. personal loss on top of the unrest we're seeing across the nation. How, and you, you spoke to it a little bit, but how do you find peace? Like, mm-hmm. how do you, when, when you're feeling pent up, when you're feeling frustrated with your spouse, when your kid's driving you up a wall, like, where do you go to find peace? And I'm not saying just physically, maybe mentally, like where, where do you need to go to find that piece? So I think what I have to do is try to put everything into perspective and make sense of things. Like a lot of the time, what my stress or anxiety comes from is me telling myself things that aren't even happening to me. And Yes, there is a, so much stress and anxiety out there and there's so much sadness and so much grief. And I, I learned this in my meditation because I think that it's important to, to not be so like in your own bubble and like be like, oh, that's not happening to me. So I'm not going to stress about it. But like to send love and care to those people that need it and to the things that need it, be like, I wish that person well, I wish that, you know, and, and try not to take on everybody else's issues. And then when thinking about your own life, be like, what is actually real? What is actually happening? Where is this anxiety coming from? How can I problem solve? Why am I making this such a big deal? Is it even that big of a deal? Like maybe I have to rate it or something to give it a number so that I can actually put it in perspective of like, am I getting anxious over nothing? Or am I even sometimes like lying to myself? Like, am I telling myself things that aren't even true and believing them? It's just, it's, I think that the advice I can give is to, is to check yourself and to like check your thoughts and make sure that what, how you're talking to yourself is, is nice and respectful and that you're not, um, escalating things when they don't need to be escalated. And if you are, then, you know, start writing down ways that you can start problem solving and try not to be too reactive, like give yourself time to think things through. Yeah. And I think you make such a good point. You said you can't, you can't have everybody's pain. Right. And like, no, how hard is it right now to not yeah. everybody? I know. I know. In, this, in the entire world. Right. It's I know. Like, I mean, I, for a time, you know, in the beginning, I was obsessed with every day. I wanted to listen to Dr. Fauci. I wanted to know what was going on. And, and, and finally it was too much. I couldn't. Yeah. It. You I had to watch. set boundaries. I did. I couldn't watch the ticker of how many deaths, how many people were infected. It was just like, I got to a point where I was like, as much as I wanted to be informed, it was just not good. I had to set those boundaries for myself. And hundred um, percent. Yeah. Okay. So my final question, it's yeah. uh, same thing. I ask everybody, uh, as the last question of the podcast, what does living a resilient life look like for you? Um, I think living a resilient life to me is as simple as just waking up and wanting to be happy. I think that that is like the ultimate resilience is like just having that kind of fire inside you to keep on moving forward and to keep on finding happiness, even though you feel like it could never be what it once was, or if he were alive, it would be so much better. Okay. Maybe, but there's still so much happiness to be had. And I think that is what resilience looks like to me. I love that. And I think certainly your father would want you to wake up every day, uh, 
being happy and I try happiness in your life. Whitney, thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, I feel like we're on to something here. I feel like we need to talk a little bit more about what this how we can normalize this grief conversation for people. I know, I know. I've been thinking about it a little bit. And I said, I recently, I said to Timmy, like, I I think I want to start a nonprofit, like a grief nonprofit. That's like, and that's all I have so far. (laughs) But got the concept, the idea, right? Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what it's going to look like. And I don't know how I'm going to figure it out. But anyways, yeah, we can chat. I'd love to connect with you. You have so much experience in this. And, um, I'm so happy that we took this time. that felt like, like a good therapy sesh. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us and thank you all for joining us for another episode of the resilient life podcast. Awesome.